No recruiters ever push back with evidence. And this is where I learned at that point in time, you can't out yell a hiring manager, but you can out fact them. It was just like a game changer. So that's when I started bottling this whole concept together. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Lou Adler. With over 40 years in the recruiting industry, Lou Adler is the CEO and founder of the Adler Group, a consulting and training firm helping companies implement win-win hiring programs using his performance-based hiring system for finding and hiring exceptional talent. The Adler Group has trained over 40,000 hiring managers and placed over 1,500 executives for many of the world's best-known and fastest-growing companies. Lou is the author of two books. The first is The Essential Guide for Hiring and Getting Hired, and he's also the author of Amazon Top 10 bestseller, Hire With Your Head, Performance-Based Hiring to Build Outstanding Diverse Teams. Lou, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, delighted to be here with you, Mark, and delighted to have a chat with you. Fantastic. You are uh, a true thought leader in terms of being a published author. You're a sought-after speaker. It's a real pleasure to meet you. I've followed you for a long time. You won't know this, but I first heard of performance-based hiring about more than 15 years ago, I think. Um, 50? Fi- no, 15, one five. Oh, God, I think <laughs> you really had me. I would have, this would have been a short conversation now. <laughs> and uh, so, listen, c- could you just give a little bit of your history? Like, how did you get into executive recruiting? And, you know, what, what was your origin before becoming an author and starting to really speak on this stuff? Yeah, well, it's actually, I am kind of, a, I'm not an HR person. So my background is engineering, uh, manufacturing, finance and accounting, an MBA, an engineering degree. And I was actually running, I was running a manufacturing company when I was quite young, 30, 32 years old. Uh, and I was cocky, kid, uh, on a fast corporate track. I hated the group president. Literally, he came by every other Thursday, and I was the biggest screw up in the world. Took me till Monday before I knew he was the screw up and uh, then a week and a half later, he'd show up and how I screwed up. But I so I quit four times in one year. And as I was doing this, I started using recruiters and I said, wow, this is a pretty interesting life. And uh, my wife and I were invited over to this one recruiter who used his house and he was extremely successful recruiter. And I'm working 80 hours a week. This guy's working 30. And as we're driving home that night, my wife says, you should become a recruiter. <laughs> I mean, literally. And I was, she knew I was unhappy in the job. I actually liked the work. I didn't like the group president. So I just one, I just quit once. I said, now nah, I'm out of here. And I talked to these recruiters. I started with them. And very quickly, I could see that recruiting was a business process. It's just like manufacturing. You're making parts. You got a bad part. You don't make more bad parts. You figure out what's wrong. So eventually, that became the process. So being a subject matter expertise in finance, accounting, engineering, manufacturing, opened up a lot of doors that normally wouldn't. So that's really how it happened. I actually was only thinking I was going to do it for six months or a year. And if it didn't work, I would have found another job <laughs> in business. And that didn't happen. I said, oh, this is actually a pretty cool job. And I didn't, I worked more than 30 hours a week, but it was very successful as a recruiter. Then I just bottled all that stuff up and wrote books about it. So that's well, the short Exactly. Story. I was going to ask how that uh, transition. It's funny how many people think like, I'll just do recruiting for temporarily until I find something, you know, that's going to be my career. And then 20 years later, some of us are still, uh, are still at it. Um, so you were successful as a recruiter. How did that lead to almost creating all this intellectual property around your, 
you know, hiring process and then teaching client companies how to recruit? Well, it goes back to the first search assignment, uh, which I think is the genesis of it all. And I remember it, it was 1978, so I've been doing this for a lot of years. Um, a, a person I had worked with in the past was a president of a company making automotive components. I went out and I, he knew I was leaving because I gave like four or five months notice to leave. So this was, so I started building a network before I left. I'm going to become a recruiter. He said, well, as soon as you get here, I'm going to be looking for some people. So I saw him like two days afterwards looking for a plant manager. So he handed me this, hey, Lou, good to see you. Uh, I'm looking for a plant manager, 10 years of this, background of this, and all the typical stuff you needed to have. And I looked at it and they say, Mike, this is not a job description. This is a person description. A person, a job doesn't have skills, experience, and competencies. What do you want the person to do? And he said, no one's ever asked me that question. I said, well, I'm not a recruiter. I'm not, I'm, I'm a manufacturing guy. So he said, I want someone to turn around the plant. I said, fine, let's walk through the plant. So we walked through that plant, spent an hour there. The machines were terrible. The layout was terrible. The logistics were terrible. The scrap wasn't measured. I mean, it was a host of things going on. He said, I'll find someone who can do all this stuff to turn the plant around in a year. I have never used the skills-based job description since that day. Never. I just say, if somebody hands me a job description with skills, experience, competencies, behavior, they says, this is not a job description. It's a person's description. What do you want the person to do? And then we define it. And then I said, okay, if I can show you someone who can do this work, who has a different mix of skills and experience, would you at least see him? And I was like, of course, that's a stupid question. Of course I would see him. So it was the idea that having a different approach to taking that search assignment just changed everything. And then that, now I, I made that first placement three weeks, literally made 50% of my salary the year before in three weeks. <laughs> so I said, oh my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. Didn't make another placement for four months. <laughs> That's, I said, oh, I'm out of here. I'm going to quit. Absolutely. But then uh, I, the recruiters I was working with were really remarkable. So he told me one thing, and all of a sudden it clicked in of, uh, and he just said, applicant control. This is the guy I was working with. And he was the number one recruiter in the country, without question, in the world probably. Uh, and it, I didn't know what that meant. Uh, but after about six months, I understood what applicant control meant. Uh, and all of a sudden it clicked in, and I for the next 20 years, I could make two or three placements a month. It didn't matter how hard I want to work. Uh, but applicant control is the idea that too many candidates say no too soon without full information. And it's the idea of being persistent. If you know the work, it's not pushing on a cloud. It's actually convincing this person it's worthwhile thinking about this job and saying why this job could be a career move. But if you don't understand the work, you can't make that pitch. On the other hand, you've got hiring managers who don't know the job either. So by doing, by once they understand the job and you present a candidate, hey, the reason I like this person because he can, he or she has done A, B, and C, just like we talked about in the intake meeting. Oh, that's great. So it was kind of bringing those three parties together, the candidate, the hiring manager around the real job. And if I had to just put that in a nutshell, that's the whole secret sauce to this whole process. It's really interesting, Lou, because a lot of the best recruiters will coach their clients and their candidates on this stuff but it's hard, you know, clients don't always listen. They don't uh, follow okay. your advice. And <laughs> But you took it one step further and you were like, no, you're doing it wrong and I'm gonna create the system and then you can pay me to teach you how you should be attracting talent. I think that's pretty ingenious. Like what was the time span for it to really evolve into a book and everything? Well, the book, I started writing articles and I don't know why, it was a printed newsletter. And I'm gonna say that was, if I started, it was mid-80s, so five or six years, I just said, I started seeing these patterns keep on 
So I just wrote this little, I don't remember what it was called. I think I still have a few of them and just presented it and sent it out. So that got business. Uh, didn't really, I mean, we always had a successful firm, but there was a couple of things that just kicked it into high gear. Uh, and that was a, a neighbor of mine had a printing company. It was probably at the time, 30 or 40 million, probably 80 or hundred million equivalent today. And he said, Lou, I'd like you to talk to my business group. And next door neighbor, we'd sit and have beer and talk. Uh, I said, what's your business group? And he said, YPO, oh, wow. Young President's Organization. Yeah. And then another one was Vistage, which yeah. at that time had a different name, but which is a smaller group. He said, I'd like you to speak to these business groups. I didn't even know what they were. So he got me introduced to it. So here I am within, I guess that was the late 80s, um, talking to business groups about this methodology of hiring. I didn't call it performance-based hiring then, but it was the same idea. Define work this way, dig deep into the candidate's accomplishments. And I would present... And literally in the 90s, we probably presented 400 business group presentations with anywhere from 10 to 25 or 30 CEOs in a wow. row. And you walk out for this, like I gave this away for basically free two hours of how to interview. It's like the fox in the hen house. And I'd walk, oh, can you hire this person for me? Hire this person. I mean, it was like I had nothing to do with it. It was my neighbor who got me into it, but it was the best marketing idea in the world. We had an idea of, hey, if you define the work as a series of performance objectives and dig deep into the person's accomplishments, you'll get the right answer. So that really became the tick. And as I started working with these entrepreneurs and I just took those, those collective examples and that became the first edition of Hire With Your Head in 1997. This is the fourth edition just came out last year. Wow, amazing. You know, it is... A genius idea. I want. Why do you think more recruiters and recruitment firm owners don't teach what they know, do pub, more public speaking, and try and educate the market in order to attract new clients? I don't know that, and that's the uh, issue. I think there's no question if you're dealing with a hiring manager and you don't have some level of subject matter expertise in that technology, you're not going to have a lot of credibility. If you're dealing right. with a candidate and you don't know the job in specific details, you're not going to have a lot of credibility. So at some level, you have to have a subject matter expertise functionally and technically. It could be managing a marketing or it doesn't matter what it is. So that gives you confidence to do it. Is that generic across the whole world for all people? To, how, who wants to hear that? I kind of lucked out and I... Truly, my neighbor, and I hadn't seen him, I moved away from there about 20 years ago, and I saw him, about, I was downtown LA at some event, and he was at the event, so I saw him, it was really cool to see him, and I tell everyone, he was a guy who pulled it off, I had nothing to do with it, I mean, yeah, our stuff was good, but he gave me the idea of pulling it off, so I don't, uh, so I think there's a lot of things that have to come together, um, and I think, and I, so I don't know why. I don't know the secret sauce to put all those pieces together. Mm. But I actually, I got the idea of seminar-based marketing. I always had it in my mind. I didn't know how to get there. So I was struggling with it until my neighbor kind of pulled it through because I was talking to him about it. And that's when he mm. said, well, why don't you do it? But you think about Tony Robbins. I mean, Tony Robbins has been around sure. since the 80s. There's a lot of people uh, they're recruiting Peter Moore. Is it Peter Moore? I can't think of his name. Peter Lefkowitz, Morgan Consulting, all these recruiter <laughs> trainers. They did all this stuff. So uh, they did it for other recruiters. I did it for hiring managers. And that was really our focus was hiring managers. And then eventually we started training recruiters. But it really started training hiring managers. Uh, but I think it's brilliant. Uh, but the idea of seminar-based marketing has always been around. Just how do you pull it off? I remember going to a major baseball stadium. Um, 
maybe it was big convention center with Tony Robbins was there and 5,000 people. Yeah, yeah. You paid 20 bucks to go, but then all his books were in the back. Ah, pretty cool. I mean, so it was the kind of where the idea yeah. came from, but then my neighbor was kind of who made it happen. That's funny. I, I saw Tony Robbins for the first time. He came to our local, uh, I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia. He came to our arena. I think there was probably 20,000 people there. I think at the time he got paid uh, 100 grand US for the for the day, and um, yeah, it was awesome. I was 19 years old. I was I walked out of that place. I felt like I was walking on air. I literally like my feet weren't even touching the ground. Well, you probably walked um, on the, the hot coals, right? He's got. This yeah, I did that a few years later. Cold, actually, I haven't. I'm not going to take. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should try it. It's pretty. It's pretty fun. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lou, you're famous for the concept of the one-question interview. Can you talk a little about the most important question of all time? Let me kind of rephrase it. In a, yes, I can. But let me kind of sure. tell you a story because I was thinking about what we said uh, about all this stuff. But and then uh, the end will be that one-question interview. So I had given a presentation to a business group. They were small companies. It wasn't Young President's Organization. It was called Vistage. It wasn't called Vistage at the time, but that's what it's called today. Uh, and it was about 15 or 20 companies, uh, let's say 12 to 15. It was up in San Fernando Valley, which is just north of Los Angeles. And I gave a talk, and it was a good, it was a two to three hour resource presentation. About three or four weeks later, I get a call from one of the presidents who was there. Uh, and he said, Lou, what are those two questions you told me uh, to ask candidates? One of them was, I'll tell you what they were in a moment. But so I said, well, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for a VP operations. Well, I said, well, it, if you're looking for, and this company made wood products. That's, I kind of remember because that was at his facility where we had the meeting. Uh, and he said, well, I'm looking for a VP operation. Well, let's just, what do you want the person to do? He said, I don't have time to tell you. I said, no, let me come out and I'll tell you and I'll give you the two questions. I don't have time. I don't have time. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he kept on pressuring me. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. So what are you talking about? You don't have time. He said, the candidate's out in the hallway. I said, oh, now I understand why you don't have time. I mean, okay. So I said, well, here's what you do. Do not interview the candidate in your office. Go out in your plant. And I said, I know you, we took a tour of your plant a couple of weeks ago. So I kind of knew it was a pretty rough plant and kind of screwed up making wood products. I said, think about the five or six biggest problems with your plant. When you go to the plant and walk the candidate through the plant and ask two questions. First, describe the problem. And you can look at it. You got a bunch of wood scrap. You got people standing around. You have uh, raw materials coming in and not being put into inventory. Whatever it is, just describe the problem and ask the candidate this question. If you were to get the job, how would you fix it? And just mm. ask and get into a dialogue back and forth. If that answer is reasonably logical, ask a more important question. What have you accomplished that's most comparable to that? That's the most significant accomplishment question. Here's the, our problem. What have you accomplished that's most comparable? We actually have a two-question interview. One is the problem solving, and the other is what have you accomplished? In this case, I, I normally wouldn't have done them in that order, but this was real time, so I had to tell the guy both questions, and he will ask for both questions. He calls me up and I said, and it was like one o'clock in the afternoon. He calls me up about three or four. He says, Lou, the guy told me exactly how he would solve the problem, good thinking things, but he had never done anything even comparable. So I 
I concluded he was a great consultant, but not an operational guy to run our plant. Would you like that search assignment? Went out the next day, took the assignment a week, a month later, we filled the spot. Uh, but that's, there was really three things. Number one, what I didn't understand the job at that point in time, I made that walk in the plant, the guy was thinking about the real job. So that, we call that a performance-based job description, defining the work as a series of performance objectives. The two questions, the question I normally would ask is, hey, what have you accomplished? It's related to that. And then at the end, I would have made it all encompassing problem solving. Hey, if you were to get this job, how would you solve all of these problems and how would you prioritize them? So it's not a hypothetical thinking. It's a realistic problem uh, solving question. And I, it's the reality of it is I don't want the answer. What you want is the thought process that this candidate can even think about getting the answer. And that's really a, a, mm -hmm. it's a subtle but powerful difference is you're getting at the thinking process. The guy's got a person's got a problem and even a, a person, an entry level accountant. Hey, you want to close the books faster? How would you do it? Oh, I got to I mean, they, they kind of someone even anybody good knows how to start solving the problem is when they tell you the answer without figuring out what the problem is. Don't hire the person. So those are the two questions. So I covered two questions and taking the assignment in real time. So um, you got a bonus. Amazing. There, Mark. Yeah, I know that's cool because um, sometimes recruiters will tell me, you know, hey, Mark, we don't want to teach the client our secret, you know, method because then they don't need us. And I'm and I and I tell them, listen, they are never going to. Number one, they don't have time, and number two, they don't have the appetite to develop the skills and you know follow this process through the way you do. So, teach them how you do it, you know what to do and why and and why it's important. They'll still hire you to do the search, but it shows them that you know what you're talking about, which is exactly what happened to you with this. Um, well, they could take uh, that to the next level, search. and this is how I really yeah. built the business. Uh, because I had the leads, uh, people would say, do you want the search assignment? And I said, well, let me just come out and we'll talk to you. So I would get constantly get calls from CEOs or VPs of positions they're looking for, even ones that hadn't been to the process. And I always say, let me just let me just show you our methodology of defining the work as a series of performance objectives. So I would give that away. 45 minutes. I still do it today. Uh, they just kind of go through. Tell me what you're looking for. And I would never finish it, but they clearly understood the difference between having and doing uh, and extracting the work. And I say, here's how we're going to interview the candidate. They don't find the candidates, but they always recognize that the idea of building a performance-based job description uh, was critical. Uh, and that was the deal breaker. If I got an, uh, if I heard about a search assignment or somebody looking for a senior level position, I would just say, I'll come out and I'll help you build the job description. You don't have to pay me for it. It was like a 45-minute to an hour marketing call. 70% of the time I got the search assignment. Now, here's my favorite story. Genius. I mean, you'll get a good kick out of this one. I just okay. thought of it. So somebody heard about it. It wasn't at the presentation. He says, Lou, we're bringing in uh, Corn Ferry and Spencer Stewart. We're looking for a VP marketing, and we'd like you to come in. Uh, and it's going to be at 8.30 in the morning at this facility. Uh, and it just we all came at the same time. So there's three recruiting firms. You know, I'm just a little two guy, three or four people in an office, and we're going against these uh, majors. Uh, and it started at 8.30, and I did the same thing. And now this case, and I, the president became a good friend of mine, but uh, he contends I did something. I don't think I did what he said. He gave me this job description written up, 
skills, experience, and competence. I said, no, my standard, this is not a job description. It's a person description. What do you want? He said, I, I crushed that job description up and threw it in the wastebasket. He contends I did that. I said, this is not, I said, I actually don't think I did that. I think I just hit it inadvertently on the floor, but neither there. He just said, my God, no, but this is a Harvard CEO's, uh, uh, really a good guy. Uh, and we just hit it off in this meeting and I had four of his other team around here and I'm going through, they needed a VP marketing and it was uh, a whole list of stuff, build a product roadmap, must have 10 years. And we went through this whole methodology and it's now 9.15 or 9.30. And I was only supposed to have a half hour to give him an introduction and the Corn Ferry guy and the Spencer Stewart guy was going to come in. Uh, so secretary comes in at 9.30 or 9.25 and says, uh, the guy's name was Jack, I think. Uh, Jack, we got these two other recruiters. Are you going to, you know, been out here for an hour. Are you going to open them soon? He said, you know, uh, I tell him I'm very, very sorry, but we're going to go with Lou. I just love his process. And it was like, Boom. it was unbelievable. I mean, it was but it's because they knew I knew the work and it was, it's, it's not, it's kind of common sense. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not this glorious HR PhD kind of, hey, no, tell me what you want work to do. And I'll find someone who can do that work in your environment. I mean, it's so practical. And yet most recruiters go into never, never land. And if you got an HR person in there, they also make it worse than never, never land. They got this hypothetical stuff, uh, and I've read all the research, all the study about behavioral. I mean, so I really, I'm an engineer, so I really I kind of get into that and understand it. So there's a credibility associated uh, from that. But down deep, I know the work. And I know the work, whether it's finance, accounting, marketing. I mean, I've done hundreds, of, maybe thousands of these. So, uh, But I make it a point to truly understand the job, to have a reasonable understanding of what it takes to be successful in that job in that environment. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. If a recruiter's listening and they think, wow, but I don't know if I have the confidence to challenge the client that way, you know, where does that come from? Because what you're describing is that instead of just going along and following, this box checking exercise that the client initially had in mind, you threw that away and said, you know, that's not a person description. Actually, tell me about the work. What do you want? What result do you want to accomplish? What problems you're trying to solve? And you push back on the client here and that they actually respected you because of that. But where does that 
confidence come from in order to to do that? Okay, so I'm a pain in the ass. This is where it comes from. I was born in the Bronx, New York City. Uh, was in manufacturing. Was on a good career track. So, and I I understood the work. I wasn't an idiot. I kind of knew this stuff. I was a good engineer. Yeah. I and I was a good financial analyst and all that stuff. So I had that level of confidence. But there is something called the challenger sales model. Uh, yeah. And if you're familiar with it, and it really is challenging people's way of thinking. Uh, now, you don't have to be as abrasive as me as going through it. And I tell everybody, you don't, you can do this logically. And I remember one of the recruiters who worked with me is this soft spoken guy, but he was relentless. He would just say, Mark, I got this candidate who can do this work. Would you like to see him? No, he doesn't look. No, I think you, when can you see him? Tomorrow, the next day. And this guy, he was equally as good. He took the assignment. He said, you know, Mark, this is really not a, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't, I apologize for this, but this is not a, the job descriptions. So he was very soft-spoken and delightful guy. Um, so you didn't want to hurt his feelings. Uh, uh, <laughs> and he did it. So it's not, my style is very in-your-face aggressive. So there's no question. But it's the challenger sales model. How you deliver it is a personal kind of thing. But here's, here's another it. story that I think you'll get a kick mm -hmm. out of. Uh, and it had to do with manufacturing. Uh, but it goes to how to do recruiting. The worst thing that a recruiter can do, and I hated this, is when a hiring manager says, do you have any more candidates? No, you idiot. The three I just sent you are real good. Why don't you want to hire them? I mean, so uh, now if you have confidence, you can push back. No, I'm not going to send you more candidates. These are good. Now, you can't actually do that. You might want to do it. And every single recruiter in the world knows that story if you've been a recruiter for more than two weeks. Uh, but I had one person... Uh, because I had worked in industry 10 years. So I had a pretty good network of people I actually work with in manufacturing, engineering, marketing, finance, accounting, controllers. Um, so I remember presenting this one controller I had worked with who had worked in my company, and I actually got him a job while I was in a company. And the guy was highly regarded. Well, the hiring manager, and this is early on, didn't like it. This guy's incompetent. And I said, you know, I started then sitting in on interviews with listening, and I said, ah, now I'm starting to see why people are making a bad judgment about the interview is not representative of the person. So a lot of my interviewing got, how do I make the interview more representative of the person? So that was kind of where I was starting to see. And I sat in a hundred interviews. I just wanted to understand what was going on there. So this is the engineering investigative thing as the book was built. But there was one guy in Southern California. I'm going to say this was the mid eighties, maybe earlier than that, even three or four years after I started my search firm, there's a company called Allergan Medical Products. It was probably the fastest growing publicly traded company in Southern California where I lived, near, you know, it was 10 miles away. And I really wanted this account, contingency recruiter. I saw an, an ad that they were looking for a cost manager. I had a good cost manager. Uh, so I presented pure contingency recruiting. Uh, the VP uh, controller loved the candidate, director of financial planning loved the candidate. Uh, director of internal audit loved the candidate. The VP of manufacturing even loved the candidate. They say, hey, we just got to meet the CFO the next day, which was a Thursday. And on Friday, we'll make the guy an offer. So this is contingency. You know, ah, I got my fee. Uh, and it was good for you. It was probably equivalent to 120K today's job. So talking about a 35K fee, uh, cool fee. Um, CFO. And at that time, I had my candidate, no cell phones. I had my candidate call me as soon as the interview was over to call me, telling me how it went. So that was a, a checkpoint. Interview was supposed to be at 10 o'clock on a Thursday. The candidate calls me before 1030. And I said, oh, God, uh -oh. that's not good. 
That's not you had to find a payphone and call me. Some people don't know what a payphone is. Look it up on Google. I assume there's a picture of it. Um, I said, how did it go? He said, oh, great. 15-minute guy just gave me a call. said, get back to me next week. Well, I already knew that if it went well, they're going to make the offer tomorrow. And I heard that this CFO was a bear, a in-your-face bear. Uh, and everyone said, it's, it's going to be okay. But my candidate was soft-spoken. There's no question he was soft-spoken. It took me guts, real guts, to call the CFO Probably five times I tried to call and I hung up soon because I didn't want to. I just lost my 35K fee. So I'm saying, ah, and I didn't want to talk to this guy. And uh, man, I'm pretty in your face, but I was frightened. Um, finally, call him about 4.30 in the afternoon. And his secretary says, Mr. Adler, the CFO wants to talk to you. And I, he gets on the phone. And he starts yelling. And you guys, recruiters are slimy of the earth. You're terrible, cursing at me. A uh, terrible candidate. You're wasting everybody's time and really yelling. He said, my 16-year-old son has better cost accounting skills than that candidate. And by this time, I couldn't care less. You know, I, my fee was gone. I said, okay, I'll be a wise ass, which isn't hard for me to do. But it was, so he said, your 16-year-old son has better cost accounting skills than his candidate? Would you mind sending me your his resume? Because I got a better job than the one you're offering. <laughs> and then the, the CFO started Fantastic. laughing. He said, well, that's pretty funny, Adler, but you still don't know anything about cost accounting. I said, no, Ed, I think you don't know anything about cost accounting. Because I asked your other four people what this person needed to accomplish. And you, they told me, so let me just see if this is what you believe it to be true, is that you want to implement an ABC cost system on an SAP platform on an international, three multi-international uh, plants. ABC stood for activity-based costing, never been done before. He said, that's right. I said, well, did you ask the candidate what he accomplished related to that? I said, I didn't have to. It was too soft. I said, well, if you asked him, he would have told you that he took that exact platform, that exact cost, and put it on at the Rouge plant at the Ford Motor Company and was asked to do this worldwide with a union plant, with more complicated system that you've got. He was asked to do this worldwide at, at Ford Motor Company. It might have been General. I'm not sure what plant. It doesn't matter uh, now, 30 years later. He said, the only reason he's in Southern California is his wife is going to the med school, UC Irvine Med School, and she's going to be here three years, and you got a chance to implement it, and you walked away from a remarkable candidate because you thought he was too soft-spoken. He said, my God, I made a mistake. Well I'll talk to him tomorrow. And if he's as good as I say, I'll make him the offer right there. Called him tomorrow, spent two hours with him, called me up, said, made him the offer. Guy's great. Totally appreciate you telling me that. No recruiters ever push back with evidence. And this is where I learned at that point in time, you can't out-yell yeah. a hiring manager, but you can out-fact them. Right. And if you know what the right. job is, here you go in the intake meeting, you take the assignment as a series of performance objectives. Would you see a person who can do this work, they got a little back, different background. You summarize that background of accomplishments and you give it to the hiring manager. Here's why I'm interviewing this candidate and why I sent him to you. So I kind of, uh, and even I had my candidates write up their major accomplishments related to the job. And I asked the interviewer, the hiring manager, just review these initially and you'll understand why I presented them. It was just like a game changer. So that's when I started bottling this whole concept together. Sorry, again, that was a long story, but I think most recruiters- I love it. it. No, this is this is great. And uh, it, it, it just, again, it comes back to that challenger uh, selling strategy, which is if you know that you're right, and the client is making a mistake. You have to explain that, and and you know get them to see this from a different perspective. You can't just accept, you know, the, the them missing right. out on. We also don't do the search over again. I mean, that was really being a, from a manufacturing standpoint. When you do the search over again, uh, you got to you can't do something else. 
So that's why I said, you know, yeah. why would you have to spend more? If, if the two or three good candidates, why would you have to send any more? If mm. it's only the my hiring manager only say, hey, I got to see more candidates. Well, then there's something screwed up. Right. Either the recruiter doesn't know the right. job, manager doesn't know the job, you haven't specced it right. There's something wrong. But don't use that as a piece of information and don't just go on and uh, keep on pushing the process forward with new candidates. And I'm going to contend, I think they're still doing that today. We write crappy jobs. We oh, don't know how to 100%. interview. And it's, I mean, 35, 40 years later, we still perpetuate incompetence. There's there's three big takeaways that I, um, from that last story. Number one is I love the fact you sat on, sat in on a lot of interviews. I think a lot of recruiters today don't do that. And it's really helpful to, and it's easier than ever before because interviews are happening on Zoom. So, you know, just make sure that you sit in on some of your clients' interviews so you see what questions they're asking and whether, you know, you can just learn so much from, from doing well, that. Well, actually, take the it one step thing further is, is you lead the interview. You don't yeah. just sit in on it. You conduct the interview right, and let right, them listen right. to you. <laughs> that, that You got to have a lot of, you got to have a That's lot okay. of confidence to do that. But if you're a good interviewer, uh, since I trained on interviewing skills, that's how I yeah. would train a hiring manager. I truly didn't trust Perfect. hiring managers. So I would unfortunately have to, in LA, huh, you can go, I mean, we were up in at dinner near LAX, uh, the airport a couple of days ago with uh, one of our employees. And we were about three miles away from the airport at nine o'clock. It took us 45 minutes to get to the terminal. Three miles. I mean, it's just, Gosh. but LA is terrible traffic, but it was worth doing rather than finding more candidates. I would just say, I'll come over, Mark, and I'll, we'll interview the candidate together. I'm happy to do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> but it was, it was a selfish Great. thing to do. It wasn't uh, altruistic. No, it's brilliant. Absolutely. Lead the interview. I think I only did that once in my uh, recruiting career. And the client had asked me because they really didn't know how to interview a candidate at this level. And um, they said, hey, Mark, we're, we're not feeling like confident in asking the right questions. Could you just do the interview like for us and, and we'll, we'll all sit in together? Um, the other two things that I took away, one was, and you've said it a few times now, is when you're doing the intake call or, you know, the client briefing is figure out what are the performance objectives that the client is, needs the person to um, to achieve, and then the second part is when you're presenting the candidate, make sure that you know you've got the evidence of their accomplishments that are related to what the client is trying to achieve. Which leads to another question I had for you because I know the the two topics that you're famous for are performance based hiring and evidence based hiring. Could you explain what you mean by those terms and how they're how they relate? Well, performance-based hiring is the totality of the system. That's what I call it. Uh, okay. But it's like that story I told the CFO. Uh, I gave him evidence that this candidate was competent. Uh, but it was very important. So when you think about during the intake meeting, I always wanted the work to be defined as a series of performance objectives. And I recognize that when they start interviewing candidates, it was, it was subject. There was a lot of subjectivity. Is this hiring manager a good interviewer? Is the hiring manager biased? Doesn't like big people, small people, whatever it is. Um, so one of the things that I did that control, I call it the maybe behind Colo's doors. If I wasn't physically there to do the interview, I said, and the hiring manager wasn't trained to be an interview, which was ninety percent of the time. Would they make the right assessment? So it actually happened, and it was just kind of a fluke is I started writing 
uh, having the candidate write the accomplishments up. Hey, Mark, I'd like to send you out for this uh, marketing manager spot. You told me about where you launched that new product. Why don't you put a little two paragraph together about that? And also uh, do something about a team, how you collaborate and coach with a team. Put two paragraphs together about that. And at first it was just to get you, the candidate, to be ready to answer the questions. So at some level, I kind of said, and I thought, oh, Mark's doing a good job. He's answering the questions because I kind of prepped them by having you write this stuff down. But then I said, wow, maybe I'll send that to the hiring manager, who I know is not a great interviewer, and say, hiring manager, Mary, would you just interview uh, I, Mark? I asked Mark to put these two accomplishments together. Would you just read, read the accomplishments and start digging into them at the beginning of the interview? And then if, if, they're, if they're okay, you can kind of uh, go into do whatever else you want. So all of a sudden, Mary's in the, all the hiring, oh, that's a great way. I love the accomplishment. So I controlled without even thinking about it. Number one, the candidate was prepped and the hiring manager was prepped to interview based on the accomplishment. So then I formalized that process. So I just had candidates always send in the accomplishments. And so that was the evidence that a person could do the work. And it was the interview was conducted in a way to review that evidence. I love it. That's uh, that's genius, Lou. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugie to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. I have heard you, I think it was a video I've seen of yours where you talk about that one um, question interview and how you just keep peeling. I don't know if this is your analogy, but the way I thought of it, it was peeling the layers of the onion where they give you an answer and then you probe deeper and deeper and deeper. Could you uh, explain how that sure. works? I'm going to find something if I can here. I got to see if I have my magic card here. So I'll give you a, a semi story if you can see that. I have this magic card and I tell people uh, the reason it's magic that if you only follow the direction on this card, you'll never make another hiring mistake. So uh, and I uh, and I'll send you some mark, but actually that we have a digital version too, but it's not as good as that one. Uh, but the idea. So let me kind of. I'm going to go back 25 years or so, uh, and I it was my first big talk, and it was big. It was like going from 20 to 10 to 20 people to 2,000 people. It's probably the first recruiting conference ever held. It was I'm going to say 1996, 97, 98, internet and all this stuff. And it was a group called, I think it was called the Red Book, but it was in Javits Center. Um, and they had they asked me to speak there. And I was so nervous, so nervous. 
Uh, so I kind of said, somebody just said, why don't you ask your one question interview? Uh, and, I, and I said, interview everybody at once. So here's the question and how the peeling the onion, and it's on that card, that little card there. So, and it happened earlier on. Somebody said, what's the one, if I only have a 15 minute interview, what question should I ask? So somebody asked me that question at some meeting. Uh, and I said, just ask the person about his or her major accomplishment, the best thing you've ever done in your whole life and spend 15 minutes to under fully understand it. So the question, the most significant accomplishment question is, hey, think about the best thing you've ever done in your entire career. Uh, you've got 15 minutes to tell me about it. Please tell me. And usually it takes a good speaker will spend one or two minutes to give you an overview and end it. Somebody engineers kind of talk for 30 seconds and some people who are loquacious <laughs> talk forever and you got to kind of shut them up and say no. Uh, but the question really goes. So when I enter and I just did it last week um, with a training group of about 30 managers with a company on a Zoom, I said, think about the best thing you've ever done. You got 15 minutes to tell me about it. So I said, think about write it down what that accomplishment is. And it says, OK, when did it happen? What dates? What was your title? What were the challenges you faced when you took that assignment? Why were you assigned that project? Did you volunteer or uh, someone assign you? If you volunteered, why? If someone assigned you, why they assign you? Walk me through the planning process. Walk me through some of the decisions you made. Walk me through the problems and challenges you faced. Walk me through the team that you built or hired. Uh, go, go through the plan. Did you make plans? So there's a whole sequence of peeling the onion steps to get about 15 minutes. Uh, so that's really what it is. The, the question I asked, the two questions I asked that president in a wood company was basically an adaptation of that. Hey, one of the things we need done is this. Tell me what you've done that's related to this. But uh, so that's a form of the most significant accomplishment question related to the real job. The other one is tell me about the best thing you've ever done. And if the best thing you've ever done is ran a lab of 100 people and a big chemistry engineering thing and launched it and I got a job with six people, you're way overqualified. If you've managed three or four people, it's probably a perfect job. But in that process, so even when I did this virtual interview with that 2,000 people in Javits Center and did it last week uh, with 30 people saying, and I kind of, it takes about four or five minutes for them to understand. And I said, think about, obviously I can't hear their answers. Think about how you would answer this. Um, and then at the end of it, I said, okay, I want you to just write down in chat what I would have learned about you as a person if we actually did that. And they all say tenacity, good technical skills team. You know, they come up with adjectives. And I said, you know, they're all competencies. But I didn't ask a competency-based question. I said, tell me the best thing you've done. And I peeled the onion. Uh, and I got a lot of information about you. So it was, so I put all the competencies underneath the umbrella of an accomplishment, which I now know is related to the job because I took it during the intake meeting. But then I also asked the person, I said, you know, how did you feel about being asked that question, particularly if it was the hiring manager? No, I didn't really do that question. I just said, how did you feel? And they said they would have felt great. Because, And I said, that actually starts the recruiting process by being thoughtful, respectful, inquisitive, but not inquisitorial, and just understanding what this person's greatest accomplishment is. So then I said, what if I asked that accomplishment at a different period of time? Biggest thing you've done most recently, biggest thing you've done five years ago. I can start seeing that trend line of performance over time. So that one, that's why that most significant accomplishment is so powerful. You just basically ask the question multiple times to start seeing a trend line and also in relationship to the work you need done. You do those things, you pretty much, I mean, that's what we call evidence. I mean, you asked me about what evidence is, that's evidence. It's not, and some people are tall, some people are short, some people are talk too much, some people are too loud, some people are quiet, but hey, 
they've done the work. So they so that's why that's how you open a talent pool to everybody who can do the work. Amazing. Tell me, this is a good segue, actually, Lou, because right now, recruiters in virtually every market sector um, are struggling to get, and, and client companies are struggling to get candidates to engage and uh, respond and um, talk to them and get get them involved in a, in a hiring process. Um, you know, there's just, it's such a candidate-driven market. And um, it seems like everybody's being bombarded with LinkedIn, you know, messages and emails and 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 so on. How does your work help recruiters to um, ha- get a higher engagement rate from the candidates that they're targeting? Okay, so certainly at the minimum set of skills is knowing the job. Number two is being a good creative writer uh, and having good, clever messages. But the reality of it is, if I have all that still, maybe will get you from 2% response to emails to 7 or 8 to 10%. Because you can say, hey, I'm looking for uh, someone in this kind of role. Now, we have in our training and in the books, you know, I do, we still train recruiters and hiring managers. That's what I do. Uh, I don't really. I have people to do it. I kind of, kind of watch them do it. So I'm I'm 76 years old. So I kind of, I still like to do it and follow it. And I still do some training. Like this Friday, I've got a training on closing the deal. Uh, but right. to, last week we had a course on sourcing. How do you find good candidates? And we have what we call the 50 40 10 plan. 50 percent of the plan is you get referrals. 40% is you do direct sourcing with very, very creative messages, and 10% is you post an ad, which is almost useless, but if it's creative, you can push people to it. But then there was a question. They said, Lou, how do I get referrals? I said, well, you can certainly ask. I, hey, Mark, tell me about the best person you know who's uh, launched new high-tech products in the AI space. And you might give me a person. But more likely is I, let's assume you are a, a person who I know as a Let's say we worked together in the past. On LinkedIn Recruiter, I can actually search on your connections. So I can search on your connections on LinkedIn Recruiter, which is the the most expensive version of LinkedIn. Uh, and I say, hey, Mark, you know, I know you and I worked on this project two or three years ago we, when we were at uh, uh, L3 Corporate, and you were doing some work on guidance and control systems. Well, you know, I, there was a, I'm looking at your a LinkedIn profile or your LinkedIn connection, and there was a a person there, I think her name was Sylvia Lynn, uh, who you work with, and she looks perfect for this job. What do you think about her? Oh, she is great, but she's not looking. I know, but if, uh, but she looks great. Would would you recommend her if I could con- convince her to at least talk to me? And could I mention your name? She said, oh, yeah, but I don't think you're going to get her, but I think she's great. So I now call up Elizabeth and say, hey, Elizabeth, you know, I was talking to Mark, said you weren't looking. But he was so impressed with your background. Let me just ask you this, Elizabeth. Would you be open to talk about something that was clearly superior to what you're doing today? Now, I so now I've got Lib. The only reason you called me is because I could use what I call, I've now created a cold call into a weak connection, a warm call. Oh, how's Mark doing? I haven't talked to him in two or three years. Now, I can do, now if I work at a medium-sized company or if I get a deep network, I have to search his on my connections, connections, and then call that connection. Hey, what do you think of this person, this person, this person? And when I mention that person's name, they call me back 95% of the time. I call that recruiter's gold. 
I don't spend any time talking to anybody who's not a top person. And I spend 90% of my time getting referrals. And I've done that. Uh, there was a spot. Uh, what was this? Um, look, I've got a map of the United States here. I was helping some agricultural VC help somebody to start a company that made egg bites, what, you know, that they saw at Starbucks. But so they said they couldn't find a candidate. So I went on LinkedIn and I looked at, geez, I could, I know these VCs. They know these people. So I just, I just get referrals. And it's LinkedIn is a, when people think LinkedIn is a network of 800 million people, not a database. And I think that's the difference is I don't look at, I get referrals all the time, but I can't, if I call you up and say, Hey, Mark, I'm looking for this person. What do you think, Elizabeth? If I'm a loser and I don't know the job, you know, I don't have any credibility with you. So it all starts down to that assignment. If you don't know the job, you don't have any leverage whatsoever in pulling this off. When I talk to Elizabeth, hey, I've got to know the job. I've got to interview her and say, hey, here, Elizabeth, this is why I think this is a good move for you. So all of it comes down to knowing the job. Every, I mean, if you don't know that, you're out of the game. Uh, so so you can see that I kind of- I love that, Lou. And yeah, yeah, no, that's brilliant because if if I ask- Mark, hey, who do you know that you know has done this or that? Then you may or may not get a name. And most people, they're busy and they've got a hundred right. other things on their mind, and they, so they go, ah, I can't really think of anyone. But uh, yeah. if I do, I'll let you know. And you never hear back, right? And uh, but what you're doing is saying, <clears throat> you know, you're connected to Elizabeth, who's got a, the perfect background for a project I'm working on. And, you know, tell what can you tell me about her? And you're starting a conversation. So you're, it's, it's, uh, it's a brilliant way of getting the referral. I, I love that because uh, you're not relying on them giving you the name. You've already got the name. What you're asking for is, you know, whether you can reference them when you contact the person, which gives you, uh, A, you already know they're a great person. So you've sort of pre-qualified them. And B, you have a an infinitely greater chance that they're going to call you back because you're able to um, mention the the, the reference. Yeah, cold so, call to a warm call. Uh, yeah, I love I it. I mean, it's just that's what I say. You look at these tools, uh, and it was I did my last LinkedIn um, Talent Connect where they have thousands of people there. Um, they talked all about this great technology. So I spoke in the afternoon to a sub subgroup which still had seven or 800 people in it. So they're a pretty big subgroup. And I said, you know, there was one piece of technology that nobody talked about, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important. And nobody, and it's right here. It's called a phone. You just talk to people. <laughs> and I said, and if you don't, to me, high tech isn't going to cut it. You got to combine the best of high tech with high touch. Now, I couldn't have found uh, Elizabeth Lynn as it connected to you, Mark, unless I had LinkedIn recruiter. So that was the high tech piece, but I had to get on the phone. I had to talk to the hiring manager. I had to get on the phone. And so I spend more time with fewer people. Since I'm talking with fewer people, I've got to be persistent with the Elizabeth Lynn's of the world to say, hey, here's why this is a good job. And I also have to be uh, persistent with the hiring manager who's going to say, no, she's not good enough. She's not here. I say, yeah, right. She can do the work. So there's a lot of pieces you're pilling together, but you're dealing with people. Um, and you can't do that with technology. And I think this is if I was trying to write an article, I said, why? You know, somebody from HR.com wants me to speak, or I'm speaking there two weeks. And they said, what do you think is wrong? I said, we've cheapened work. We've made it a transaction. And we've made it an automated transaction with no people. I said, no, get the people business back, spend more time with fewer people, know the job, offer people career moves, which is the win-win hiring outcome, is I hire for the anniversary date. 
So when I call you up, hey, Mark, if this is going to go, I call Elizabeth up. Hey, Elizabeth, this is going to go. It has. We call it win-win hiring in our approach in my search firm. Meaning a year from now, you still love the job and you can't wait to, and you're glad you're there. And a hiring manager says, I'm glad I hired Elizabeth. I hope she stays forever. That is hard to get to. I'd like to have this call to be the first conversation to see if we can even get there. So it changes the whole dynamics of what you're trying to accomplish. Long-term hire, not for the start date. Uh, you're focusing on the work and see if it's a career move. And you're putting this um, hand-holding, I don't want to say hand-holding, getting on the phone and talking with people using proactive referrals. So, I mean, it's not, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, in my mind, it's the right way. Absolutely. And it's, it's a skill and it, you know, requires practice and, and can be developed. And, uh, you know, 100%, that is the way to go. Uh, Lou, if people want to find out more about your work, what's the best place for them to start? Well, they can go to performancebasedhiring.com. We have a website which is, has these self-paced trainings called winwinhiring.com. Uh, or just Lou or info at performancebasedhiring.com would get to us. Uh, you can just go to Amazon and buy the book. Uh, that It's kind of a good start. And we have, if you buy the book, we have what's called the virtual book club. Every month or so we get together and just talk about these ideas in a real practical sense. So it's pretty, I'm pretty, I'd say if you can't find me, you're not going to find a candidate. I mean, I, I mean let's be real <laughs> frank. So, uh, you shouldn't even said that. Okay. If you're a good recruiter, you can find me. If you can't find Lou Adler, don't become a recruiter. It's just not going to happen. So I would use that as uh, a signing. That's probably a true thing. And it just is. And I tell people, my personality is in your face, aggressive, manufacturing background, but it doesn't matter if you're competent and want to learn and become better and help someone really achieve some kind of career move in a soft-spoken manner, you can be equally successful. And I go back to the one guy who worked with me, name was Dave, I can't remember his last name, but he used to play basketball at the Y in the, at lunch, and the guy was great, but he was so soft-spoken, but he just loved the guy because he never gave up, Tenace, tenacious and uh, competent as heck, but just soft-spoken, people trusted him. So you can go from all spectrums, but it's the understanding the work and trying to have your candidates put them in real good career moves. That's a game changer. Absolutely. Agree 100%. Lou, it's, I've really enjoyed this, actually, and um, I'm so glad that we got together. Thank you for sharing your 40 years of insight and wisdom with uh, the Resilient Recruiter. Happy to do it, Mark. And I understand you're in some marathon this week, or did you just? Yeah, no, I've got a half, my first half marathon coming up on uh, on Sunday. I'm raising money for the Macular Society, which is um, a charity that is striving to find a cure for age-related macular degeneration, which affects, uh, which runs in my wife's family and uh, affects my mother-in-law right now. So, yeah, no, uh, issue. Good, good luck in your in your your meet or your run as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Lou. Um, fantastic. Well, uh, let's keep in touch. And thanks again. Happy to do it. Enjoyed it, Mark. It was great fun for me too as well. Thank you for listening to my stories. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.